One time, I have this memory, one time of riding with my dad and my brother. This was in the early 90s, and we were going on a camping trip, speaking of camping. And uh, it was in this place that we hadn't been to before. And so uh, I'm from a place called Wilson, North Carolina, and outside of Wilson is a lot of other really small areas. And, and I remember we were driving around, and we knew we were kind of close to where we were supposed to be, but we couldn't find it. So technically, we were lost, okay? We're driving around, we're lost, and, and it was the quickly setting sun uh, to guide us. And we, this is before cell phones, this is before, you know, GPS on your phone, this is before, you know, your self-driving Tesla uh, or Siri to tell you where to go. It's just like, you just figure it out. We didn't have a map. And so, I, you know, dad's just trying to figure it out. We're driving around, and we come across this little crossroads with a filling station. And this is like a, leave it, you know, like, like the, 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 what do you call it? Mayberry, Gomer Pyle type place. There's a dude sitting outside, like on a chair, watching the corn grow and he's just sitting there we we pull up and roll down the window and my dad explains to him like where we're trying to get to and 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 we think it's nearby here and the guy says he listens yeah yeah okay and I remember he took a deep breath and he looked at the ground yeah yeah I know I know the place but uh but see here now here's your problem you can't get there from here what does that even mean? You can't get there from here? Like, is it on another planet, another dimension? You can't get there from here. And he commences to apologize to us and how inconvenient it must be. I guess you boys would just pack up and go home. Like, you can't get there from here. And my dad was like, well, that was helpful. He rolls the window up and we pull away. He's like, sorry, boys, we're not camping today. <laughs> you can't get there from here. Um, it turns out you could. You could get there from there. It's the road's did connect. I, don't have, I have no idea how my dad found the location, but I do have a memory of us actually camping there, so we must have made it. But I will never forget this guy's confidence. You can't get there from here. And it's with that kind of mentality that I want to start this brand new series that we're in because I feel like there's a lot of times in life where we feel a little bit like that advice. Like, whew, I've got this place I want to be in my life, but I just can't get there from here. Like, I don't even know how to get, what is the navigation? What is the path? What is the road to that location? This past year and a half has felt a little bit like that. The pandemic and COVID and all that stuff, it's like we're traveling down this dark, long tunnel with no light at the end of it. And just when there seems to be a light, we're like, nope, that's false alarm. It was a firefly. And you know, you can't get there from here. And, and life can be that way a lot of times. We don't know where we're going. We don't know how to get there. Parenting and marriage and your work and relationships, a lot of them can feel like you're just banging up against a wall or like it's a dead end. It's like, I want to get to this place, but I guess I can't get there from here. It's not an option. Maybe the advice that that guy gave feels really familiar after you kind of laugh at him for a second. Uh, so today we're starting this new teaching series. It's going to be four weeks, and we're calling it The Road, because I want to get in the car together, and I want to go on a trip, because there are a lot of people in our life that are telling us where to go, how to get there. There are people merging in and out of the lanes all the time, some people cutting you off, some people uh, just sitting on the side of the road, and, and, and there's this big metaphor you could kind of draw up of what does it look like if life is a series of roads. In that bumper video we just showed, there's this one scene where there's like this huge interchange of like, I don't know how many highways, and there's all these curvy roads and clover leaves and interchanges, and when you look at the busyness of life and our schedules and the, what the world's throwing at us, it can feel that way, and, and it's not even that it feels that way, it is that way. And so to a large degree, we have to ask ourselves, like, I mean, which road do I get on? And, and what's the plan? And what are the directions? And kind of, I want to ask a bigger question, 
which is this. Where do you want to end up? What's your goal? What's your destination? Like, I'm not necessarily talking even about like heaven. I mean, we're in church and you might assume that's where I'm going. And, and there is a lot of that in what we're talking about. But like the bigger question is like, what type of person do I want to be? What type of legacy do I want to leave in this world? And how are my choices in my life affecting, impacting my, listen to this phrase, my eternal soul? How is the way that I'm living impacting that? These are big questions. And like kind of knowing where your goal is really helps you decide which paths you want to take along the way. I'm calling this series The Road because it's all about this direction in our life and the fact that God has offered us a plan, a path, a road to his grace, to his presence, to fullness in our lives. And by God's grace, that road has been built by the person of Jesus. So largely, this is a lesson on like, what does it mean that Jesus is here? And, and what does the Bible say about that? And how does that impact our life? And so if you've got a Bible today, we're going to be studying in the New Testament a little bit today. We're going to be in John chapter 14. So grab your phones or open it up on, uh, in a real Bible with paper. Or we've got Bibles right by the door. If, you're, uh, if you need a Bible, you forgot yours, or you just don't have a good one, there's a gray shelf by the door near the coffee bar. Please get one and use it for the service today if you want to. Feel free to get up at any time and get it. Or keep it if you need a good Bible. We're in John chapter 14. And let me kind of catch you up on where we are in the book of John. Okay, first of all, John is in the New Testament of the Bible. This is the portion of the Bible about Jesus and the church as, as, as different than the Old Testament, which is kind of about the nation of Israel that led up to the coming of Jesus. And in John, we're in one of the four biographies of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call these the Gospels. And John is one of the tellings of the life of Jesus. And when you get to John chapter 14, we're near the end of Jesus's life. And Jesus is kind of uh, gearing up for what is actually going to happen like tomorrow, He's about to be arrested tonight in this passage, and he's going to begin the process of going through a trial and crucified, and he's going to die. This is what Jesus is facing right now. And it's kind of a somber moment because he's sitting with his closest friends, his disciples, and they're having what they're, we call the Last Supper, but they're having a meal together. And Jesus, wanna, in this moment, is kind of lightening the mood. And so when we get to John chapter 14, he's kind of like, listen, there's some good news in all this. I know this seems like a dire situation or you might be really confused, but there's really good news in this. So let's pick up at John 14, starting at verse one. And this is Jesus's opening moment. I love this first phrase, by the way. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. So just pause there. I, I, that right there is just great advice. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And I don't want to read stuff into scripture that's not there and it's not that we should never, ever have stuff that we are concerned about, whatever. But this phrase, that God's in control and there is something bigger that we can have faith in, that's great. But let's keep going to the passage. Do not let your house be troubled. He says, you believe in God. Well, believe in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. I'm going to take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. So Jesus is sitting with these guys, and he's like, all right, boys, after tonight, things are about to be different. I've been with you all this time, but I'm about to leave. But don't let your hearts be troubled, because it's good for you, because I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I'm going to take you with me. And he says, and you know the way. Now, 
in our, like, we have the benefit of history, and we're over 2,000 years later, and if you've been in church long and you know Christianity, you can kind of read between the lines, and, and this is one place where we're talking about, let's call it heaven. I mean, I think it's a great thing to call it. That's what it is. But he's, he's talking about some kind of eternal reward. He's talking about this place that we call heaven. He's talking about uh, this concept that Christians talk about that, like, after Jesus died, and he rose from the dead with the power of the Holy Spirit in him. He ascends up into heaven, and there's this belief that we carry that God is going to one day return, Jesus is going to return, and all the faithful people that are here on earth and who have already passed on before us, they're going to be gathered up and collected and welcomed into heaven. And so that's a teaching, and that's, I believe, a good teaching, a good doctrine. We have the benefit of history to understand that. These dudes listening to Jesus right now are totally confused. Like, what? You're going to your father? Have we met your dad, Joseph? The carpenter, like what? Now, this isn't the first time Jesus has referred to God the Father as his Father, a, a very common thing for anybody to do. You might pray sometimes to the Father. And so that's not really crazy, but his disciples are a little confused and Thomas speaks up. This is one of the disciples and he says this. He says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. <laughs> so how can we know the way? That's a good point. That's a good point. If I'm like, hey guys, meet me at the restaurant after church. We're going to eat lunch. You know the way. I don't know where you're going. Like, we're going to Islands? We're going to Zaxby's? We're going to Chick-fil-A? Not Chick-fil-A. They're closed today. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you got to tell me where we're going. For I, I might know the way. At Joseph's house? Like, and Jesus replies to Thomas and the rest of the disciples with this, what he's about to say. You can underline it. You can highlight it. You need to know this. This is going to be I believe the most controversial thing that Jesus ever says to this day that any Christian could say. This is what he says. Uh, I believe we're in verse six now. And Jesus answered, well, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. That's the phrase. He keeps going. He says, if you really know me, you'll know my father as well. And from now on, you do know him and you have seen him. So Jesus says, oh, Thomas, I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked. Where am I going? Oh, well, if you need directions, it's me. <laughs> I'm the way. Which from like a directional standpoint, left, right, forward, three and a half miles, second exit, that's actually not very helpful. What do you mean you're the way? Should I chase you? Should I tail you until you get there? But this is a huge thing that Jesus is saying. In fact, this thing that Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, this becomes a foundational teaching of all the church. One of the first messages of all the church is this message. In the book of Acts, we see it this way, where uh, Luke right, says, he says that salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. This becomes foundational to what the church teaches. And understandably, it's one of the biggest hangups people have about Christianity. Do you see the problem? If Jesus is the only way, the, the only truth, the only way to life, what about everything else? What about everybody else? Surely you, you, you may come from a background where there was something else that was said about that, or you may have friends who come from something else other than that. Like, how can we, how dare we, how dare Jesus say this? How dare Christians say this? Isn't that exclusivity? That Christianity was all about love and acceptance and peace. Seems pretty exclusive to say that Jesus is the only way. Yeah, it's pretty exclusive. And that's actually Jesus' main point. 
It's very exclusive. There's one way, there's one path. Now, Jesus is not just expecting us to accept this carte blanche. He's not just saying, listen, I'm saying it, so just boom. He gives us two reasons here. And these are two, they're not small reasons, but they're kind of quick reasons as John writes them. And if you've ever wrestled with this question, or you have a friend that's wrestling with this question, the two things that Jesus gives us after this are pretty powerful. And the first one is this, you find it in verse seven. He says, it'll take a minute for us to land there, so stick with, stick with John as he writes this. He says, if you really know me, you will know my father as well. And from now on, you do know him and you have seen him. So one of the other disciples speaks up in verse eight, Philip said, Lord, show us the father and that'll be enough for us. So Jesus makes this claim. He says, listen, if you want to know the way, I think they're picking up. Okay, you're talking about spiritual stuff. You're talking about eternal stuff. Show us the way. Well, I am the way. Okay. Maybe you keep talking about the Father like you know him. Maybe show us the Father. Philip sounds like most of us. If I could just see a little bit more, maybe I'd be ready to believe a little bit more. Have you ever been there? over and over again. If, like I could just, if I could just see a little bit more behind the veil, especially in our modern, uh, let's call it rational culture, we all like logic, we want proof, we want evidence, we want all this stuff. If I could just see a little bit more. And I think that Philip's request here is fitting because he's like, okay, you, you keep talking about this and this seems like a pretty big deal. Could you just show us the Father? But Jesus, instead of giving him that, and I think, I think that this is what Philip might have wanted. Like, Philip's familiar with the Old Testament, and so you have some of these prophets, guys like Ezekiel, Isaiah, and they had these visions, and I think that they get that like, they're part of something huge here, the disciples, and I think they get that, and they're like, man, it, it would be really great. Like, we've heard about Ezekiel, we've heard about Isaiah. Could you just show us one of these visions? So maybe, maybe he didn't actually believe that, or, or be asking Jesus, like, put God on a table in front of us, but instead be like, could you just show us, help us see behind the curtain? Jesus doesn't do that. It's actually kind of fun because he does later for John who wrote this book. That's the book of Revelation. It's a pulling back of the veil. That's a different story. He does, but right, not, not, right, not right now in this moment. In verse nine, he answers in a different way. He says, Philip, don't you know me? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show me the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me and the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me doing his work. So the first qualifier, I said there's two qualifiers that Jesus is gonna give for his statement that I am the way. The first qualifier he gives is, I'm God. I am the Father. In fact, if you know me, you know God. Philip, don't you recognize me? You're talking about show me the Father. I'm right here. Now, I said that the thing he said about I am the way, the truth, and the light, that might be the most controversial thing he said. The other one is this. I and the Father are one. <laughs> I'm him. Uh, now, I feel like anybody could say that. I could say it. You guys could be like, what are you, what's your authority? Well, I'm God. People have done that, haven't they? People have claimed to be a Messiah figure or they've claimed to know some special knowledge. It's like generationally, there's always one or two every couple generations that come along and do this thing. So really anybody can say that. So that's, that's the thing. But, but is this something that the early church believed? 
I'm just going to read you a couple passages. I, I don't think that it's off on the screen. But like in Philippians chapter 2, Paul believes this. Paul says this, being in very nature God, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be held on to. But instead, he made himself nothing and took the likeness of a human and was obedient even unto death. Like that's Philippians chapter 2. That's the understanding that the early church had that Jesus was indeed God who emptied himself and became a human person. Or in Colossians chapter 1, starting in about verse 15 and on to like verse 20 or so, there is a beautiful description of who Jesus is, specifically who the early church believed Jesus was. I'm just going to read you a portion of it starting at verse 16. It says, For in him, in Jesus, for in him all things were created. Things in heaven, things on earth, things visible, things invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him. That sounds a lot like the creator God, doesn't it? This is what the early church believed about Jesus. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And then later in the book of Colossians, the apostle Paul says this a little bit more succinctly. He says, uh, this is Colossians 3, starting at verse 9. It says, for in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. That's a big claim. It says that in Christ you've been brought to fullness. If you know me, you will know the Father as well. So Jesus is saying, I am God in the flesh. And that is a major teaching of the Christian faith. But that's a heavy statement, isn't it? This is the series called The Road. And, and, and you know, it's a metaphor. It's, it's, I'm, I'm unpacking in an artistic way of what it looks like. But really what we're saying is the road is, is Jesus. Because Jesus is God. And that's huge. Verse 11, he says, believe me when I say I'm the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe in the evidence of the works themselves. Okay, so I said there were two qualifiers Jesus is going to give. The first qualifier he gives is, like, you should know me. I've been with you the whole time. I am the Father. But the second one he gives is this. He says, listen, believe me when I say I'm the Father and the Father's in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Now, as modern thinkers, this is what we can get down with. I want evidence. I want proof. Show me the money. Where's the proof of this? All throughout Jesus' ministry, he performed miraculous signs and wonders. And unlike many other people who have started movements and cults and religious things, when, when things happen, and a lot of times it happens kind of with only a select group of people or behind closed doors, Jesus did these things in the broad public in front of hundreds and thousands of people. And the disciples, these guys at this meal, they had been there to witness it all. Unthinkable, supernatural things. They saw a man just a few days earlier from this meal. They saw a man, their friend, Lazarus, who had died, who had been dead for three days. And they got to sit with his sisters and mourn for him. They saw Jesus walk up to this man's tomb call him by name, and wrapped up like a buried mummy, walk out of his grave. They saw that. I love what the King James Version of, of that passage says. And I don't know exactly the, the part of the story, but one of the disciples says something like, but Lord, he stinketh. <laughs> this guy was dead. Jesus revived his body, and they saw it. That was just a couple days ago. You, you know that's fresh on their mind. They saw a man raised from the dead. They saw Jesus supernaturally feed thousands of people with a small meal that he multiplied. And if we're to believe uh, the accounts in Scripture, it happened twice. Once to a group in one area that was primarily Jewish and once to a group in another area that I think was primarily Gentile, if I understand the difference. And so at least once, but maybe twice, he is multiplying food and feeding thousands of people. Unthinkable. 
He's walked on water. They were in a storm together on a boat in the middle of a giant piece of water. And here comes Jesus trotting across the water like it's no big deal. And he comes out there. One of them, Peter, got the opportunity to stand on top of the water himself for a brief moment. And then they watched as Jesus calmed the storm. You've been in hurricanes. You've been in torrential downpours. Imagine seeing someone walk out the door and be like, peace, be still. And it's like. They saw that. This is Jesus talking to them. If you don't believe that I'm the Father, the Father is in me, then me and the Father are one, at least believe on the works you have seen. He restored vision to blind people. He caused paralyzed people to walk. And I think Jesus got their attention at that time. And I think for a lot of us who have heard these stories our whole lives, we're like remembering like, oh yeah, that's a pretty big deal. And I think that maybe if you're in this room this morning or you're watching online and you're maybe a little bit skeptical about that, because let's be honest, it's wild to think that those things might have actually happened. I think one of the greatest evidences of it was that he did it in public in front of hundreds of people and then even after he rose from the dead, which by the way was the greatest work that I think he is referring to. He dies, he stays dead for three days, he rises by his own power and he begins to appear to groups of people. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the apostle says that over 500 people saw him after he rose from the dead publicly executed, gone, back. Believe me when I say that I'm the Father and the Father is with me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works himself. So he gives these qualifiers. Because he just said, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. Believe it because I am the Father. Believe it because I've been showing you for years the authority and the power that I have. People from other religious and other worldviews are understandably conflicted by this statement. Um, because don't basically all worldviews and religion claim to have the answer to life? Isn't that really the point of religion and, and worldview? This is the direction, this is the road? So how could Jesus claim to be the only way? What about these other faith groups? What about these other religions? Well, first I'll tell you, that is well worth your time to study. Uh, I don't think there's any fear in seeing what other people believe. Because I think the more that we hold it up to the evidence and the historical facts that, that, that back up the Bible, I think time and time again, we still wind up with more than ample reason to believe. That's why I still have the faith that I have. I wrestle with my faith a lot. Because I tend to lean towards the logical and the rational. And when I think about the supernatural, sometimes it's like, Shh, that's just, I just can't really put my feet on that. But then I go back and I just, I just see all the other things that I've studied through the years. It's, it's there. I want to encourage you to explore that. And I want to let you know that this is a safe place to do that. Like our church family, we're people who want to discuss stuff. But at the end of the day, the place where I have landed, and I know our leaders at this church have landed, is like, yeah, Jesus won't lie. <laughs> what he said is true. Another thing about that, though, is that I don't think that Jesus' goal was to create a new religion to battle other religions. I don't think it was Jesus' goal at all to start a religion. I think it was his goal to bring a message. We call it the gospel. Uh, the gospel is a word that means good news. You know what the good news is? The good news is that God loved us so much that he made himself human to show us the way back. That's the gospel. 
that Jesus can forgive us, that he can give us grace, that he can give us purpose. That's the good news. I don't think that Jesus came to start a religion at all. In fact, he looked in the face of the very religious Jewish people that he was living with and was like, listen, what you're doing is okay, but I think you're missing the heart of what God wants you to do. And he talks about this with a lot of the more legalistic religious leaders. He's like, listen, man, you've forgotten about justice and mercy and compassion, forgiveness. These are things that God values. I didn't come to start a religion. And there's a big difference between religion and grace. Now, I've shared this little thing I'm about to say. I've shared this a few times here. And I'm really glad that I remembered it and wanted to share it again because it's worth sharing again. Maybe it'll be like the first time for you, uh, even if you have heard it before. I wanna, someone wrote this once. I don't know who to give credit for. I like to sort, cite things, but I, I don't know who said this first. But they compared religion and the gospel. And check out the difference. It says religion is what man does for God. But the gospel is what God does for man. Religion is man's search for God. But the gospel is God's search for man. Religion is a man or a woman climbing the ladder of life, rung after rung, reaching desperately for God. The gospel is God climbing down that ladder to the lowest rung to meet us where we are and to show us the way back. This is the story of what God's doing for us. Religion is the story of what we're doing for God. You see the difference? And so that though what Jesus says is controversial and might be hard to swallow and there are some things that we've got to understand, we've got to understand that Jesus' goal was not to come over here and just poke at every other religious group and be like, wrong, 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 wrong. No, no, no. He's like, I, I ain't got time for that. I'm not trying to play your playground games. I am God. And what I've done is I've come down here to show you the way. Pay attention. Look at me. And that's the road. And without that road, you can't get there from here. It's impossible. Some people have called it a bridge more than a road. The idea is that there's a space where we are. There's kind of a chasm. Sin creates that for us. I mean, when we go against God's wishes for our life and when we disobey him, uh, sometimes when it's overtly and on purpose and other times when it's, you know, we're just living in a, a broken world, there's this chasm that happens between us and God. The reason that the road needed to be built was because it was there. And check it out. Religion is man building the road, but the gospel is God building the road. So you can call it a bridge. And crossing that bridge is the path to finding the way and knowing salvation. Listen, for some of us, this might just be like a refresher and you're like, yeah, 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 I knew that. No, like if, if you're not still stunned by that, if you're not still pumped up and excited about that, I question you to check your pulse and think about what God has done for us. It's a big deal. And I love this summary uh, that we can make out of an Old Testament prophet that he says in Isaiah chapter 55, this is verses one through three and verse six, because it's a picture of what God is offering us. This is an Old Testament uh, passage, but it really, the, the way that it lays on top of what Jesus has done is beautiful. He says this, Isaiah 55, starting at verse one. He says, come all who are thirsty, come to the waters. You thirsty? I've got you water. And you who have no money, come and buy and eat. Come and buy wine and milk without money, without cost. You got no money? It's for free, free. God's got something for us. He says, why spend money on what is not bread or, or labor on what does not satisfy? Listen to me, listen to me and eat what is good. 
and you will delight in the richest fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. God says, I'm going to do the work, okay? I'm going to provide the resources. But what I need you to do is lean in and get involved with what I'm doing in the world and walk across that road. Come spend some time with me. Um, you know, as we, as we kind of wrap up this morning, I just want to ask you some questions. This is just the beginning of a new series, and we're going to dive into some more specifics of the kind of gears and nuts and bolts of what does it mean to, like, walk on this road. But I feel like it would be doing a disservice if we just didn't take a second to remind ourselves of the gospel. I think we get too cute and too clever with our Christianity. I'm guilty of it. Look, I've got to write a, you know, small term paper every single week and share it as a speech every week. And like, you know, it's, it's tempting to want to get cute and clever and like tell stories and be entertaining or whatever. But man, the sole purpose of all this is the gospel. The reason that we're here is because Jesus was willing to do this for us. So let me ask you some questions that would get going. Like, first of all, let's identify where you are on this road, okay? So maybe you've been on the road towards God already for years, for decades. You knew about the bridge. This is new for you. Great, okay? But maybe along that road, you've been swerving and zigzagging and pulling off on the scenic looks every now and then. Maybe you've been taking some exits every now and then. Maybe, in fact, maybe you're at a point where you feel like, you know what? I really feel I had direction. I had a goal, but now I'm, I'm kind of over here. I feel like maybe my destination has changed. I'm not talking about like you've lost heaven or something. I'm just saying you, you've, kind of, you've lost the passion. You've lost the purpose. You've lost the focus. Maybe it's by the grace of God that you're here this morning as a reminder. I need to get back on that road. Am I talking to anybody this morning? Like maybe that's a lot of us in this room. Or maybe you never heard about the road. <laughs> and this is the first time. I want to invite you to come back next week. I mean, literally for the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about what does it mean for us to get connected with God and stay there. Like, that's the goal, okay? And these are major tenets that have made the church what it is for thousands of years, the good parts of it, the parts that bring us close to God. Stick around for that. But I want to give you an invitation today if you've never done this. If you've never taken the moment to accept Jesus, like, I accept that. I've heard about this for long enough. I'm willing to accept it. I at least want to get on the road and figure out where this thing is going. I want to invite you to make this your day. Scripture teaches us that when we're willing to accept that, when we're willing to confess that we believe that, that we kind of come into contact with God's grace at that moment. We understand that. In Scripture, what we see is that anyone who is like willing to embrace that, they're immediately obedient in baptism, literally going under the water and coming back up. The book of Romans says that's a picture of dying to our old self and rising in newness of life. And in at least one passage in scripture, we're told in the book of Acts in chapter two, that when we go into those graves, it says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's pretty awesome, having our sins washed away and the Holy Spirit in our life. Like, this is the journey. And that's kind of like the merging ramp, kind of making this decision to do it. Have you done that yet? If you haven't, will you please? Will you please, will you come talk to me? Some of our leaders will be back at the back of the room back here in just a minute. Maybe you want to just go talk about it some more. Maybe you want to just pray about where you are on that. Maybe you want to turn it on your table a little bit where you're sitting or the spaces where you are and just talk about like, where are we on that road? And there's another third group. The third group is maybe you've been on the road and you're driving, you're on the bridge. Let me just ask you, have you been moving down the road recently? Because sometimes I think as Christians, we get just content being on the road. The view's great from this bridge. But I think that God has a purpose for you. Ephesians chapter two says that basically saved us by his grace to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. When's the last time you've been able to push the car down the road, drive it down the road, 
see where God's going. Maybe this is a challenge for you to do that. So, some specific questions. The first one is this. What's one thing you can do to head towards God? Simple question. No matter where we are on our journey, I think all of us could answer that question. One question might be like, one answer could be like, I don't know, I don't even know if I want to. Okay, that's a good, that's a good starting point. But what's one thing? One thing. And if you can't look back in your last couple of days and say like, I've been making some concerted, intentional efforts to move towards God and move towards God. He's already done, he's already done the climbing down, okay? The salvation is available, it's there. But then God wants us to get involved. He wants to be part of the travel. What's one thing? And let's, let's dive into that question a little bit deeper. In fact, you, you might want to at some point just take a picture of the screen or write them down. These are, these are some good evaluation questions for yourself. Number one, how would I describe my faith journey? You got them all up there so you can see them. How would I describe my faith journey? Like, are you lost? Uh, have you been turned around? Are you moving forward pretty good? Do, do you need some guidance? Like what? How would you describe your faith journey? I mean, think about a road trip. The analogy's good. Another like, follow-up question for that is like, are you confident in the direction that you're going? That's important. Second question, have I put my trust in Jesus as the way? I think a lot of people might, um, I'm going to use air quotes, and I don't mean it to be disrespectful, but we will like get saved, we will accept Jesus at a certain point in our life, and we kind of see it as like a uh, get out of hell free card, or like we punched our ticket, like I'm good. But like my question is not, did you at some point believe that? My question is, have you put your trust in Jesus as the way? Like, is that guiding your decisions every day? Is it guiding how you work as an employee or as a boss, as a parent, as a spouse, as a neighbor? When we put our trust in Jesus as the way, like, it should impact us. It should affect how, affect how we live. Um, and, and the second follow-up question to that is, like, what's the evidence of that? Okay, Jesus makes this bold claim that I and the Father are one, okay? He wants to back it up with lots of evidence. And you know what? I think he wants some evidence from us as well. The book of James in the Bible says that faith is good, but faith without our works is dead. So we've, we've got to have some evidence that we're trusting in Jesus as the way. What is that for you? This is just open-ended questions. The third question is this, and this is strong. Am I traveling with others? I love this past weekend we had our ladies retreat. This coming weekend we have our men's retreat. Those are great ways to be on this journey with others. Maybe you're a part of a small group or you're, uh, we've got something we're going to talk about more at the men's retreat. I'm not sure if the ladies did it or not. We've got something we talk about called micro groups. It's an opportunity to be with a group of three to five people uh, that you meet with every week just for accountability and growth and, and it's a goal. So do you have a, a group of people like that that you do that with? Are you on this journey with others? And maybe being on the journey with others right now, maybe all it means is that you come here on a Sunday and you sit for a little while and you listen to me talk. That's part of, that's start, that's a start, that's great. I'm talking about like, is there somebody you can grab coffee with, grab lunch with, and just talk about life? Is there somebody that's helping you grow? Is there someone that's challenging you, pushing your buttons and asking you about accountability and stuff like that? Am I traveling with others? By God's grace, he has rebuilt the road. And this is just an opener to our series. We've got three more weeks to dive in. I'm going to promise you that no matter where you are on your faith journey, that what we have for the next three weeks is going to help you grow. It's going, to help, it's going to challenge you, and it's going to help you get on a solid footing headed towards God on the road that he built. So I hope that you'll decide to come back. Let me pray for us this morning.